Just hit record. We don't need to go down that road. Oh, we're at the recording. We're already there. Okay. Three, two. Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we are with our usual cast of characters. Michael, our resident Ephesiologist. Andrew Johnson, Associate Pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, with that amazing Spider-Man mug in his hand. And I am Matt Till, lead pastor of Restoration Church in the Chicago suburbs. It is good to be back with you guys today. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. Things are good. Yeah. Th- yeah. I mean, we're we're into February. It's hard to believe that it's come so quickly. And just thinking about that, we're less than a month away from the release of the book. And uh, Oh, my. I know. It's coming fast. Um, so, yeah. Exciting. It is exciting. We've seen uh, the, I think you've seen the final draft already, Michael, and did the final edits on it. And we've seen the cover. It looks fantastic. And uh, it's exciting just to see that uh, this book that we've been talking about for quite some time now is uh, finally coming to fruition and will be in people's hands. So uh, we hope for our listeners that of all the information, things that we've been dialoguing about on this podcast and the conversations that we've been encountering either with you and then with us, of course, we hope that you'll find your way over to amazon.com at the end of the month and pick a copy up for yourself. And maybe if we're clever, uh, we can figure out maybe a single book giveaway and what we would do or require of people. Uh, What amount of information we find useful that we would would request of people so that they could enter said giveaway. Uh, You know, look forward to it. I think I'm thinking blood type and social security number. Oh, yeah. I think <laughs> actually full it. access to their 23andMe DNA test. How's that? Hey, sound? now we're talking. So, um, yeah, so clearly we're just a bunch of hacks and have no idea what we're doing here. So, and we do not have some sort of clever marketing team behind the scenes here. We're just figuring this stuff out on the fly. But, you know, that aside. <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> there's a real publisher publishing a real book and this can do it much better than we are. That's for sure. Yeah. And they, you know, they've been great. It's been so much fun to work with William Carey Publishing on this book and appreciate so much their excitement about it and their optimism at uh, the potential that the book has. And, you know, I, I, I say that and um, I'm so grateful for you guys too. I mean, you have spoken into my life so significantly and you've been a huge part of seeing this book come out and I'm very grateful and, and for others too. I mean, it's, this has been really a, an exercise of doing theology and community like we talk about and, uh, that's so much fun. And while my name goes on the cover, um, I'm very aware of um, the input of so many other people. But I'm still to blame for the content. So if anybody has... <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's with right. with what they'll read, um, it, send your emails to me. <laughs> Not to matter. Andrew. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. So, uh, well, thank you for that. And Michael, we are honored to be on the, the journey with you and thanks for roping us into it. So, yeah, I can only echo and say, I think both Matt and I can safely say we are significantly better as humans, as fathers, uh, as husbands and as believers due to this theology and community exercise we've been walking through. So well, yeah. it's a, it certainly is a joy to do that. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to, um, and through our discussion here, continuing doing theology and community, we want to pick up a topic actually that we started back in November, so a number of months ago. Uh, it was episode number 28, so if you maybe had already listened to that or would like to go back and re-listen to it after this podcast, uh, that would probably be uh, a good idea. Um, and that episode was Maturing Disciples in a Movement, and we labeled it part one. 
but there's this mysterious part two that never showed up. And today that is the day. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> I think uh, Andrew left a, a cliffhanger question there out there for Michael and then we just never answered it. And it uh, wasn't that we were avoiding it. It wasn't that uh, Michael was ghosting us, although maybe he was. Uh, we had some <laughs> other... Uh, you guys are impossible to ghost. Yeah, well... Yeah, it's so that, true. That is true. So we... Um, all I have to say is we had some other great conversations. We had some great interviews that led us to the end of the year. And then, of course, we started this year off with uh, Jeff Christofferson and Alan Hirsch. And so now we want to really kind of follow some of that back up. And actually, this would be good because I think this conversation also bleeds into some of those conversations that we've been having with some of these other like-minded people. I think it has helped inform even the structure of, of really maturing disciples in a movement and what defines or the types of characteristics that we find for discipleships in movements. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to list off those, uh, not 10, not five, not 10, but 11 characteristics <laughs> that, that uh, we have for uh, what does it take to mature a disciple in a movement. And I'm going to reread those. And then um, Andrew's got, we're going to answer Andrew's question, I think today. So here we go. First is, all right, here we go. The first is this saints surrender to God's will and maintain the work of their first love in a theocentrically focused missiological theology. Number two, saints declare the mystery of Christ to the nations. Number three, saints are equipped by movement leaders for ministry. Four, saints exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Five, saints are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Uh, six, saints are a godly, are godly husbands and wives, mothers and fathers. Saints pray for opportunities to share the gospel message. The gospel because they know God is most glorified when more people are worshiping him. Saints are respectful of people and culture when they do evangelism. Saints learn from sound doctrine, uh, learn sound doctrine from movement leaders who are able to teach. Number 10, saints are willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And 11, saints are committed to multiplying more disciples. So we unpacked all of these um, in more detail uh, in episode number 28. Again, it's episode number 28, Maturing Disciples in a Movement, part one. But now we want to kind of continue this conversation and dialogue a little bit further about these these uh, these 11 characteristics of a discipleship. So Andrew, what was that cliffhanger question that you left us off on last time? It the cliffhanger be easy. It is. Okay. So how many, if our, first of all, the question is, are these 11 all necessary to be a Christian? If somebody is looking at this list and doing a little self-assessment and they're like, okay, this one's true of me. This one's true of me. This one's true. Oh, not this one. Okay. This one's good. Oh, this is a half measure here. Um, this one's true. That one's not true. So if you're doing a little self-assessment at home, and you said, I now score seven out of 11. Hey, seven, 11. If you are saying, I am not doing all of these, are we saying you're not a Christian? Hmm. Or are we saying you're not a good Christian? What, this is really the question is, what level of necessity are all 11 of these to faithful discipleship? That was the question. Yeah, and that's such a great question. And and in one sense, it's an easy question to answer. And the easy answer is yes. Um, This is characteristic of what a Christian is. Um, Now, the the, now the complexity of it is that um, discipleship is a process, and uh, and so we don't all achieve these characteristics, if you will. 
at, at once. Uh, we grow into them, and that's the part of sanctification uh, of our lives that um, that's demonstrated by an increasing maturity that's leading to uh, us understanding and acting upon who we are as saints. And I think that's important too. You might recall, I think we talk about this just briefly in that uh, previous episode on, on what a disciple is, is that the, the word disciple disappears from the New Testament in uh, Acts 26, I think it is. And Paul never uses the word. And yet the idea is there. Um, he's more inclined to use the word saints or brothers and sisters. Uh, he uses uh, illustrations or analogies of disciples being like farmers or soldiers or athletes. And so the imagery of what we've understood to be discipleship is still in the New Testament, although the word disciple it itself isn't used. Uh, Jesus, of course, does use that word. Um, in fact, the Great Commission, he gives us uh, that command that we are to make disciples of all peoples and uh, we're, we're to teach them to keep all that he's commanded and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so, so certainly, uh, disciple and discipleship um, are still very much prominent in the uh, kind of the underlying uh, writings of the apostles and, and of course the commands of Christ. Okay. So, so essentially if I'm going to boil down everything that you just said, it's that there is grace through sanctification. There is grace in sanctification. There is, uh, these are not all bullet points that must be achieved or met in full measure day one of discipleship, but these are a part of the process of being sanctified, becoming Christ-like and uh, bringing God more and increased and fuller glory um, as we pursue uniting all things in him and joining him in that effort. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I, th I, I think so. And I think the key there, Andrew, is what you said is that we're being sanctified. Um, you know, there's a, and we've talked about this a little bit um, before there, there's, I think, as at least as I approach uh, Scripture and as I'm trying to understand the Apostle Paul, I think his concern is much more focused on us being saints, uh, that, that we're, we're doing this from a position of our identity uh, in Christ, and it's becoming Christ-like. So it's not doing uh, the things that make us Christ-like. It's becoming. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, owning this identity uh, that we now have as adopted children of, of the Lord. Michael, I was going to go back to your three B's, your behaving, believing, belonging. And actually you just said the fourth word I was going to add to it, and that is becoming. Mm -hmm. uh, it feels like that that is, as we have this conversation, it's not when you fulfill all 11 of these and check the box, you've officially become a disciple, but actually it's in our believing it's in our, and then we start to behave and belong, right? As followers of Christ, we are becoming his disciples. And so it seems like these are the ongoing works of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And all 11 of these characteristics that we've identified or you've identified, it seems to be that these are the things that we should all be working towards, right? These well, are like let's, let's, uh, let's check the receipts, Matt, because uh, per our receipts in Signal, you will find that I have great pushback against the word behave. And I said, <laughs> let's use the word become. 
Oh, that's right. I, reason. Yes. You literally have just preached my sermon, not yeah. my one for Sunday. That's on a different topic, <laughs> but um, this is exactly True. like, you, I could not stamp this harder, uh, rubber stamp this and say, yes, like, cause I am just fully in agreement with you. This is a conversation about being. This is absolutely a conversation about being, and this is about what saints are and not what they do. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, and I get that and I hear you. And um, I, I don't, though, want us to to come to the point, because I think this is in part uh, the, some of the issue that we see uh, today in the legacy church is that, yeah, we can all be about becoming and uh, the, and be focusing on this process of becoming but there is in at least as i read paul um there and i mean i'm thinking even of james too and and of peter uh there is this aspect of behaving that is uh, uh that coalesces with the belonging and the believing and if we've we detach that somehow, then, um, then I think we just become complacent and nominal. But see, I'm pushing back. I'm just saying though, that the part of becoming is there is still action within becoming. Mm. So I'm not saying that the, that being or becoming is just a state of being, um, without action. I am saying absolutely. There are things that we are to obey. There are things that we have been called to. I mean, James, that book makes everybody uncomfortable because I think everybody looks at it and just says, I'm not that I'm not doing that. I want to, but I, I, I'm not that. And your faith without works is dead. So exactly. It's like, what do you, how do you reconcile that? Right. So it is this, it's the both and it's this tension that we're talking about here today. Right. So, and I'm, I'm about the tension. So Mm -hmm. I I see the tension within becoming, I do not see saying behaving um, has nothing to do with becoming. I see them fused and I see behaving happily sitting under the umbrella of becoming that the, I see it as one and the same. And I would actually reference, um, John Lundy's book. I think it's called following Jesus, the servant King. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot about this, that so much of becoming is following and obedience and you cannot divorce them and they must be married together. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. And in fact, uh, that uh, just prompts me to think, gosh, we need to have John on the podcast. I agree. John, if if you respond, John, John, if you're listening, Hey, this is your old colleague. Um, (laughs) Let's get you on this podcast. We'd love to hear more from you. Uh, yes. No, but, yeah, and I, I, I don't disagree, Andrew, at, at all. I, I, it is a process um, that this becoming, and I, I like that image um, of becoming because there is a sense of maturity there. When we, and I, I get this when we talk about behaving, there's almost a sense that well, we've arrived. If we're behaving this way, we've arrived. But it is a process. There is a sanctification that's ongoing. Um, <laughs> none of us are are uh, complete in in this process yet. And so I, I do like that image uh, of, of becoming. Okay, so then if we are looking at all 11 of these that we have, that Matt just listed so masterfully, um, 
I think there's probably some of these that come a little, a little more easily, like saints exhibit the fruit of the spirit. No one's going to have any pushback to that. That's pretty, pretty ingrained. Uh, saints pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Also, not much of a pushback. Um, but for those who are recent to the Ephesiology podcast or some of our ideas, uh, I just since this is your first one, so I think you probably have a good reason to have it, number one. Michael, what do you mean then by saying saints surrender to God's will and maintain the work of their first love in a theocentrically focused missiological theology? Yeah, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's really foundational to what Ephesiology is. Um, um, a, a part of this, the, the whole kind of impetus to this journey is asking that question, uh, what is God's will? And uh, as we uh, recorded a podcast uh, some time ago on this question, uh, we can invite our listeners to go back and, and review that. Um, but just very simply, um, that seems to be a primary question of what Paul's trying to address in Ephesians chapter 1. That's God's a, will, episode 19. Yeah, you are so fast on that. Um, and so basically, the, the, what we land on as the answer to that question is not something about us. It's not asking the question about what is God's will for my life, because that then becomes more anthropocentric and uh, our, our thinking. And, and that's far from what Paul is trying to get at. What, what is at Paul's heart is this theocentrism. And so the, then the question becomes, what is God's will, period? It's about him, not about us. And so we surrender then to what that will is. And as we see in, uh, in uh, the first chapter of Ephesians is that Paul beautifully answers that. And, uh, and he gets to that answer in in uh, concluding in verse nine that God's will is uniting all things in Christ, and so uh, for us then, uh, uh, and I think this is very important because I think this is an this is an issue as much um, for the saint that is uh, in the pew as for the saint who is in the pulpit, um, that God's will is singular. And we are, as saints, whether we're in the pulpit or in the pew, we are all after the same thing, that that we are all focusing on uh, participating with God in this incredible mission that he has privileged us to, to be a part of in uniting all things in Christ. And so, uh, and why I think this is important here is that it it um, um, how do how do, how do I want how do I want to phrase this? It kind of uh, negates the question of well, what does God want me to do? Um, and it answers it. Well, God wants you to join with Him on His mission to unite all things in Christ, and um, and and that's it. I mean, it, it's. I think it's honestly that simple. And that is certainly what we see uh, in the Apostle Paul um, and what his mission was. I mean, it was from the beginning uh, of his conversion on the road to Damascus until the end of his life. His mission never changed because it was God's mission. And he didn't wait on a geographical calling or a vocational calling. Um, he didn't wait on, you know, being called 
uh, in some other way, uh, because he understood that when he came to Christ, his whole purpose in life changed and focused on joining with God on God's mission, not on some special personal mission that God had for Paul or for any other individual, but it was a focus on God's mission that is for everyone without discrimination. So I want to go back to something that Alan Hirsch said um, in our conversation with him last week. And he said, churches are designed around attendance, not discipleship. And then he went on to say um, that failure to produce a discipleship culture is the first of the movement killers. So I think what we're trying to establish here, Michael, is that if without these key components to discipleship at the core and at the foundational base to a church, then institutionally, the church does not produce movements. It's anti-movement because we have failed to understand the full form, fully functioning form and the, the roles and the responsibilities and the identity, right, of a disciple. And I think what you're getting at here is, is really understanding the will of God for every follower of Christ, and, and, and which then breeds out from that, then is the pipeline to this is what movements, this is how movements go. This is how they start. This is the, this is the ignition. This is the fuel for that. It, am, I, am I hitting this here? I no, mean, I, I think you are. I mean, I think, again, um, what we want to focus on is what we're seeing in the New Testament movement and, and answer the question, you know, how did it grow so fantastically? Because I think we've established that it did grow fantastically. I mean, the, it's just amazing to read through the book of Acts and to see what was going on. And, um, and we're going to talk about this, I think, in another podcast as we try to uh, summarize what we see as the anatomy of that movement. But, um, and so the growth was there. And so the question is, how did it get there? And the, the only way that I see that that movement could have gotten there is by the, faithful, uh, the faithfulness of the saints being empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel to everyone they encountered. And um, outside of that, I just don't see how a movement can be a movement. Um, and so I think, you know, re- reflecting back on some of the things that Alan uh, brought to our attention last week, uh, particularly that expression or, or that comment that he made that, that we are perfectly designed to achieve the things that we're seeing uh, with the insinuation that uh, what we are seeing in Western society is the decline of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, there's just... It, that should not even be a discussion. Uh, I mean, it's happening. Uh, all of the indicators are showing us that it's happening. Um, and so we have to ask the question then, well, if we're perfectly designed to see this decline, then how do we change that? How do we get uh, the, the, to a growth uh, position? And I think the way that we do that is coming back to really do a deep dive on what we see in the New Testament and understand in particular, and this is what we've been doing, understand that movement in Ephesus that was just so fantastic. And I've, uh, I claim in the book, and I still maintain this position, that the church in Ephesus was the most significant church in the New Testament. And it becomes important then for us to really understand what God was doing in that movement. And not that we're trying to replicate it 
but we're trying to to understand it and then ask the question of ourselves why is pulling that out important? yeah we're pulling out the principles that we see in that that church movement um michael you've said a few times uh, in this conversation that the mode or the the responsibility of the disciples to proclaim the gospel um how does that relate to um proclamation to uniting all things together in Christ, as we see in Ephesians 1. How do you see those two things connecting? Um, or are they two different things? Because I think people, some, some people listening to this are going to say, we, this, is, this is all we do as the church. This is all we are about is proclaiming the gospel. I get in front of my pulpit. I'm, you know, we, we, we do evangelism, things. I mean, that, that's the hallmark of the ministry. So, so what is it about what's happening now? Then what, uh, what are we, what are we trying to say? That's something different, if anything at all. Let me jump in and I'm going to answer for Michael. I'm, I'm not really going to, he's still going to talk. You all can be safe with that. But so one of the quotes that Michael dropped, if you listen to the Alan Hirsch episode again, I encourage you to, uh, when Michael says the phrase or the idea that we have so professionalized ministry that, we have paralyzed ministry. If you listen closely, you'll hear me say, oh, because I thought that was so good and so monumental and something that we need to hear and realize. So Matt, your excellent question is, people say, well, what aren't we doing? We get in the pulpit and we say this every single week. So why? Well, I think the question then goes back to, what are we calling every disciple to do? And by that, I mean, we as Christians looking back at scripture, not just we on this podcast. What are we saying is true and should be for every Christian? The call is for every Christian to routinely proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's for every Christian to see that their role is to play a part in uniting all things in him. So if you say, well, what are we doing as a church? What do we need to do differently? We've been doing it. No, your pastor has been doing it. Your pastor has been doing it from the pulpit every single week. We are saying it's not about the professional. It's about every single person doing this. This is why Hirsch talked about the latent capacity or the latent potential that is in every single believer. We as every single believer need to be doing this, not because it's my job, but because I love God and I want everybody to see him and know him. And so what we're saying is, no, we don't need everybody to fill a pulpit. We need everybody to embrace this in their everyday life, where they live, where they work, where they play, and telling others about the goodness of Jesus, both in word and deed. That is the connection between what we are calling the discipleship to for every single person and the proclamation of the gospel. This is where they coincide. He <laughs> can mention about the fallout of his chair. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I just want to encourage you at this time to hit pause and hit that little uh, rewind button that goes back 15 seconds and tap that about three times <laughs> and just listen to that all over again. You can do that now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's good stuff, Andrew. And uh, there's nothing to dispute there. Uh, I mean, that's what we've silenced. You silenced the ephesiologist. Congratulations, Andrew. <laughs> Congratulations. No, no, I, you can, if you answer my questions like that every time, that's that I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah. That's why I got A's in your classes. That's right. <laughs> 
You got an A in his class? What? Yeah. I got A's in lots of classes. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Let's just think about this for a moment because I, um, it, I think it's true. I think, you know, we have professionalized ministry to such a degree that, that we have become paralyzed um, because the expectation is that, you know, the guy that's standing up front is going to do the ministry. And so that, yeah, I mean, there's so much here that we need to talk about and, and uh, I'm sure that we will in future podcasts, but I, I've, I've become more and more convinced, especially uh, in light of our conversations with Alan and Jeff um, and others like them. And even in my own reading and studying, and yeah. as we've been dialoguing and doing this theology and community together, that I, the, the form and the format is, is it, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with um, Alan when he says, I mean, not only are we perfectly designed to achieve what we're currently achieving, but the form of the church is a discipleship killer. I mean, it is, it is made for the place of, of where people who want to have or desire or have been called by God to have a relationship with Jesus and one that is meant for uh, to bless the world and unite all things together in him. We, 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 we go and we sit in the pew and we die, we wither. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I, I'm more convinced than ever that this is, that that is a problem and we need to be addressing that. And that anything that we call discipleship is, is we're only hitting like two areas of discipleship, two or three spots as you started off, Andrew, by saying, Hey, I'll look at a few of these things on our list. By the way, Michael, do we have this list posted on the physiology website? We do. We have it posted on the website. And uh, of course it's in the book. So those who will be getting copies of the book or looking to receive the book, you'll find that in in the text, but also it's available on our website now today at physiology.com. So you can be looking at the same list. Plus it's also backed up with the uh, scripture passages as well. Um, uh, so, you know, cited in that direction so that you can find these places in scripture, do your own study as well. But yeah, I think we find like, you know, um, you know, there's a number of things that on these lists that most of our traditional churches would say, yeah, we do that. But I, to the degree that in which we, we do those in the other pieces that are sorely missing, the, the institutions is not designed to allow this uh, to take place, I think. And it actually undermines everything. I think that what Christ is trying to call us to do and to be as, as disciples and as movement leaders. Um, And so um, we, we really need to be taking some serious consideration in, in how we are achieving discipleship and how we are moving people into, into believing, uh, behaving and belonging or becoming. Yeah. yeah and I think one of the issues is, and um, uh, you, you guys interact with me a little bit on this too, but okay. uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm certain that uh, the people who are listening to our podcast and especially pastors, if they were to go down this list, they're going to say, yeah, but this is what we're about. I mean, you can't, I mean, this is what was in the New Testament. Um, and so it's very difficult to say that we're, we're not doing this or we don't uh, want to do this. And so I'm, I am absolutely convinced that uh, pastors all across the country, if not the world, would agree that this is what uh, we're about. Now, the issue, I think, and, and as I'm having conversations about this with folks around the country, is that there's an aspirational part of what it is that we're about in ministry. And then there's the reality. And oftentimes there is a huge gap between the aspiration and the reality. And I think that's where we are now. And so the the question that we're trying to answer with our study on the New Testament movement is how do we, how do we shrink that gap? 
And how do we get to the making our aspirations our reality? Can you give a practical example of aspiration? Yeah, like, well, for example, we would uh, aspire to uh, the, the idea that the people that are coming to our church are actually going out and sharing their faith. I mean, that's an aspiration and that we're teaching that uh, from the pulpit. Uh, but the reality is, and, and the data in the United States is, is uh, playing this out, is that um, it, we don't do that. In fact, uh, but LifeWay Research, um, not too long ago, uh, uh, that put forward this idea that uh, nearly three quarters of those who are attending church have not had a uh, gospel conversation with another person uh, for as long as six months, uh, a six month period. And, um, and so we might aspire to talk about the gospel, but the reality is we're not talking about the gospel. And so how do we narrow that gap? And I, I think there are um, two issues uh, that will help us to to move forward, um, and uh, and we've talked about this, and I think this is going to have to be for another podcast. But just to just to prime the pump, perhaps a, a little bit, I think those two issues are first a hermeneutical one: how do we uh, come to scripture? How do we approach it and read it and interpret it? And then secondly, it goes back to this idea of identity based discipleship. Um, I think we have to get to the place where we deeply understand that if we are calling ourselves this, then it looks like this. If we <laughs> if we are being uh, this, then it will result in uh, something that is consistent with who we say we are. And um, and Andrew, you might remember I've been saying this for years that we have this unique ability as Christians and particularly as American Christians to hold two ideas in our brains that are uh, diametrically opposed to each other. And so we might say that we are this, but our actions demonstrate this. Um, we might, for example, all agree that the law says that the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, but there are very few of us that actually will hold to that. And so we can hold these two conflicting ideas in, in our brains. And that, I think, applies uh, to our Christianity as well. We can say that we are to evangelize, but our actual activity, our lives, uh, demonstrate that we don't evangelize. Tim Chester in... Tim Chester writes in the book, You Can Change, which I have always said this is like the, um, it is the critical work for anybody who wants to actually talk about and do sanctification. It is, it, it is at once uh, theologically rich as well as practically accurate. So it's not just a, hey, let's talk about sanctification and keep it in the head. It's about heart and actions. But Chester writes about, and he's saying the same things you are, Michael, and he's tying them together saying what we see in America, and, and specifically, let's not just talk about others, what we see in our own hearts is there is a gap between confessional belief and functional belief. Mm -hmm. And so what is the difference between what you say you believe? I believe that the speed limit is 70. In a way, that's also saying, I believe I can read. Like, I see that it says 70. Well, what is your functional belief? Well, the functional belief then is, I can go 75, I can go 80, I can go 85. It's Texas. Um, that's what we do. 
Um, so your functional belief does not line up with your confessional belief. And so I think to answer your question, Michael, I think there is a gap in belief in all seriousness. Uh, we do not believe what we say we believe. Mm. Well, we and I think it's because it, but we don't do it. Yep. No, a hundred percent. I mean, and I think it's because we, we, uh, have a, um, it, well, I mean, it is a very Western idea of what belief is. Um, for Paul, and and this comes out so beautifully in the Greek, um, there are multiple words for belief, and yet, um, and knowledge. And uh, our English translations don't do that word justice. But we we talk about, um, or Paul talks about the this oida, uh, the Greek word for uh, knowing it's an intellectual knowledge, and then he talks about gnosko, uh, this intimate knowing, and then uh, we read the word uh, gnosis, this experiential knowing, and so there are all these things uh, in the Greek idea of knowing and of knowledge that uh, that play to what we've been talking about in identity-based discipleship, and that is. Um, there's the the believing, there's the belonging, and there's the behaving. In in Greek thought, this was all one thing. Um, it, there, it wasn't, it, it, you know, it, it just kind of came together to give a person a real sense of who they are because it all functioned at, collectively in the individual. And that, and I think that's at the heart of Paul when he talks about. Uh, the being a disciple and being a saint is that he wants us to have this wonderful, deep understanding of who we are in Christ that brings together what it is we believe and what how it is that we belong together as a body and and what it looks like as we're becoming uh, identified with Christ. Yeah, that's right. So I um. I'm actually kind of wondering too, Michael, as we're having this, as we talk about this notion of an identity as a disciple, right, is also a lot of the conversations that we're always having here is um, this this idea of, of this theocentrically focused missiological theology, right? And you were starting to talk about it a, little, a few minutes ago by going, I, I'm wondering if this is where the breakdown occurs. And, you know, I think, like you said, we're gonna have to have another podcast just on this conversation alone as a, as a hermeneutic, as a way of looking and reading the scriptures. But the question for me is, is this the breakdown of discipleship for us? Like the purpose and the why behind discipleship is the purpose so that we live our life on mission with God for in to fulfill his will? Or is discipleship just simply this knowing of saving knowledge of Jesus, I'm set for heaven. Um, you know what I mean? Because I feel like discipleship has really, in my experience, okay, I'm going to talk from my, my limited experience here. Discipleship has been, um, as I have seen it, everything that encompasses a, there's, there's the proclamation, evangelistic, save you from your sins, save from, hev- uh, save from hell for heaven, and now come to know and live an obedient lifestyle to Jesus, right? For the rest of your life until he returns or you get sent to heaven, right? And avoid hell and avoid sin in your life. Now that has been the predominant formula for discipleship. I feel like, and as I read and as I see in my experience, that's what it's been. But what we're suggesting is maybe not a full deviation, but actually a different why or different purpose behind discipleship. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I think our form of discipleship, particularly in the West, has all, always been intellectual. You know, we we have this understanding, and and in fact, you know, we're taught this way. Our educational system is this way: is that if we can fill uh, a person's mind or brain with knowledge, that there would be a corresponding action. And Andrew, what you were just saying a moment ago, and what what we've been discussing uh, today, is that there is a dissonance here um, that we're experiencing, that we're seeing, even though we might think on Sunday mornings from the pulpit, we're filling the the minds uh, of the people in the pew with the knowledge that would propel them to be faithful disciples. The reality is something very uh, different. And uh, and so there's the, the aspirational part of the sermon on Sunday, and then there's the reality on Monday that just doesn't line up. I think uh, so. If I can, you know, quote Senior Billy Graham, you know, he used to always talk about that so many people in America are 18 inches from heaven because he would say mm-hmm. all the information was up, up in the head, uh, but it hadn't made it to the heart. And I wonder if now changing a few decades, watching our society morph that more people would say they've made that 18-inch journey, but the issue is it hasn't made it to their hands. It Mm -hmm. hasn't made it to their life. They've kept it in the head and in the heart. This is what I think, and this is what I believe. Believe pointing to the heart, and I'm good. What about the hands? What about what you do every day? What about how you live and how you love and how you serve? Those things matter. And so the head's good. Now the heart, we might say, might be, air quote, good. Um, what about the hands? What about that uh, trifold? Well, and even going back, again, I keep going back to Alan, our conversation with him, but he was even uh, starting to say this and allude to this very notion that it's not just in, it's not a salvation uh, or faith by works alone, but it's in the doing, it's in the works is where the individual is confronted with conflict and pain and suffering and and challenges in their life, right? And as we go forth, even with the gospel, and as we uh, share it and live out this life, that's where this this notion of this is how people actually grow. So what we've done is we've created a head-heart level discipleship that lays stagnant, and nobody's ever confronted with a real-life encounter Um, or real life experience or coach through that experience that actually causes them to grow into, and to leave the place of comfort for this, this missional and really this discipleship life. I really, I basically need uh, Michael, can you edit this podcast and then send it to me so I can listen to it again? Because essentially everything we're talking about right now is supposed to be my sermon for Sunday. Um, Because in first, I'm going to send you mine mine from last, last week, by the way, too. So so this is, so this is first Thessalonians chapter two at the end of chapter two. And then all of chapter three, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he's telling them of his deep, deep love for them. And how concerned he is that when when he preached the gospel, he was concerned that when he had to leave, that their faith would falter mm-hmm. and that they would essentially their faith would die on the vine and that the gospel would not be um, moving forward due to, I think I'm clever. I have a three P's due to uh, poisoning uh, from Satan, due to pressure from Satan and due to persecution. 
But instead, Paul sends Timothy and finds out instead of these three things actually killing it on the vine, that it actually ignited it and that their faith was real and that they grew and that they made, I don't want to say they made their faith their own. The gospel became alive and they actually grew into, they were strengthened, they were established in their faith because of these three things. And then Paul at the end of chapter three is saying, and my prayer for you is that you grow in love for each other and that you grow in your love for others. Like this is about actually taking this to the streets. It is not about the head and only the heart. It is about a life, a full life transformation so that you are purified for the day that Christ comes back. And I get excited about this because it is intentional. It is intentional that we see in this list of 11 things, this, this characteristics of a disciple that we see this is what we all should be aspiring to grow towards. And this is what we should be doing every day, not just on Sunday. It's about who we are, not about where we place our butts for an hour and a half. Yeah, it's got to be about taking that aspiration and, and making it a reality. And, uh, and, and that's, that's the challenge that we're facing. Um, but, but it's not an insurmountable challenge. I mean, we see Paul did that. And uh, one of the things that, that uh, we'll talk about on the podcast and that certainly comes out in the book is that people did act on their faith. And the result of that was the multiplication of disciples. Seems like, too, that um, even as pastors and those who are in the professional ministry need also a shift in approach and need a shift in how uh, we serve our congregations and serve our churches. Um, Maybe we need to be thinking about, um, you know, moving away from the sermon-centric Sunday to missional activities that allow us and facilitate these kind of endeavors for our church. I mean, how radical would that be? Well, you know, the, here's the interesting thing is that in Paul's mind, that's not radical at all. I, I think that's what he did. I, I don't, I mean, it's hard for us to get to the place where he, and this is, I, I just feel the emails flowing into the <laughs> inbox if I were to say this, but um, I don't see that the the sermon was at, um, primary in the New Testament. I think it was that gathering. Certainly, I mean, they gathered together and they they listened to the scripture and uh, they had fellowship. They worshipped. Uh, they uh, um, they prayed together and they went on mission together. And so that all of that has to be about what the church is and. And so if there's a breakdown, I think that we've, you know, our Sunday services have done great on the reading of scripture parts in air quotes here. Um, uh, and and the, the preaching of scripture where we struggle has been in the practice of prayer together uh, in the genuine community, uh, as well as worship that's really focused on God's glorification and not on me feeling better about who I am or, or, you know, the warm fuzzy things that sometimes happen in, in uh, our contemporary worship, but also we have to be on mission. And, uh, and so we're struggling, I think in that. That's good. 
Well, let's wrap it up here, guys. This has been a fun conversation. Finally, wrapping up part two of the discipleship conversation. We'll keep coming back to these material to this material. But again, as a reminder, just for our listeners and for those who are engaging along with us, you can find this complete list of the 11 characteristics of discipleship on the website at ephesiology.com. Again, it's also going to be in the book there as well when it comes out later this month. Uh, Leap Day, uh, February 29th, correct? That's right. All right, February 29th is the release date. So uh, looking forward to that and uh, getting this in the hands of everybody. So, so, and again, we just invite you as our listener to continue to be part of our conversations and join us doing theology and community. We'd love to hear from you. We love interacting with you on Facebook. Some of you have been sending us some private messages on, on through our Facebook page. Some of you are dialoguing with us on various posts and the content that we share. We keep that coming. We'd love to continue dialoguing and hearing from you. And especially, too, if you've been listening to the last couple of interviews with Alan Hirsch or Jeff Christopherson, you've got some additional questions and things you want to be asking about, or even points of clarification, why don't you send those over our way? We'd love to talk about them and even maybe bring them to the table here um, on the podcast uh, for a future episode. And of course, as always, find us on ephesiology.com for additional content and tons of resources to learn about our laboratory for those who are church practitioners and leaders who are thinking about uh, inventing or, or in engaging in some new ways of, of doing church and living on mission um, and seeing a movement starting your We'd love to be talking with you and love to um, And of course, like and engage just with us on our Facebook page and subscribe as always to the Physiology Podcast, wherever you listen to the podcast, uh, we are there. So, uh, and be sure to share this content with your friends family and church members, church leaders, and anyone else that you think would would benefit from this content. So for Michael, Andrew, and myself, uh, we thank you, and we'll catch you next time on the Physiology Podcast.